0: okay over there. It's a we have a mover card sitting on our dashboard. It's my new found favorite. You already talked about the moo mo card in the last episode. I know, but this episode we have a different reason for talking about the moo ver card. Okay. Cuz now it's called the mover card cuz we're going to I think we should talk about movers cuz you had a question from someone about movers. Yeah. So <laughs> here's the question. I have trouble
1: with movers. It says, "I know it's possible to use ca- calculate the speed if the match director does not provide the speed. I would like to hear how you approach the mover stage. The few that I have shot so far have also had multiple positions. I would like to hear more discussion on also building solid positions, as we know this affects NPA. So let, let's- um, Better break this one way down. Yeah, let's dissect this into and start by talking about movers. And it's probably a short topic, but maybe not, because we can be long-winded, right? Yeah, it seems yeah. like that's really loud. So whenever a match director has a mover, um, I think it's a risky thing to do, by the way. <laughs> oh.
0: So how many matches have you been to where the mover has stayed up the entire match? Only the ones at K&M? Yep. They never go down. It's the only place in the country that we have never had a mover go down. Correct.
1: And how many matches have you shot <laughs> movers at places other than K M where the stages have gotten thrown out completely? Probably. Uh, more than 50% probably of the time. Around, I was going to say 50, so it's probably you know right in that ballpark. Um, it's risky to have a mover that is not permanent, and I think that's where a lot of them fail. They're either brand new and haven't been tested long enough, and they are in a permanent location, or they're thrown up in a unique location for that specific venue. Uh, one of the ones that comes to mind was Hornaday. Holy crap, that was an awesome mover. It was up really cool. Up on that cool. ridgeline. That coyote? It was like a double-headed... Yeah. Whatever. Double-headed dingo. It was called something, and I don't know. The name meant two-headed dog i think i can't remember the name of it but that was a sweet mover because it was across the canyon on this ledge on the side of the angled like it went not perfectly level either yeah it It was was high on the left and low low on the right right. so what it what it Mm -hmm. ended up causing was two different speeds if you yeah so this person's question was specifically um if the match director doesn't give you the speed which is pretty uncommon that they don't give you the speed but but even if they do give you the speed i always measure it right 100 percent. unless it's k&m and i still measure it but i measure it on training day i have some really good anecdotes on
0: this so yeah whenever we're ready on that
1: so uh just so we weren't clear that that uh, mover on the hornaday match got thrown out that year and then the next year it wasn't there uh we've had a mover at bomber run get thrown out right yep we had a mover where else we had a mover go down in Wisconsin, but it got fixed. And that was a simple one. It just ran out of gas.
0: The yep. generator ran out of I've gas. I've seen them run out of gas often. I've yeah. seen pulleys not work, freeze over, jump the tracks. So, yep. Targets fail. I mean, that's a normal one because that could happen on anything. But Oh, the Vortex match this year at MKM. I was going to say, that yeah. one, I think that one also that went down. That got out. thrown out? Or it did get thrown out, yeah, because of, I remember that one was standing. So I'm like, I finally did well on one. And then that one got tossed. Yay. Um, so. <laughs> it made me nervous because
1: I had dropped like four points on that stage, and I was doing really well. So yeah. I thought, well, if they dropped that, that'd be good for me. Yeah, well, uh, but I didn't want to win just for everyone else. Right, but I didn't want to win by like because they dropped a stage. So I had to like kick ass on everything else. And... Yeah, I
0: wonder. If it, I can't remember. <laughs> Did you do that? Let me just think. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you basically gained a minimum of a point on every single other stage. Yeah, against everybody across the entire field but that was from shooting not from dropping the stage yeah but you gained you were on average one full point higher on every stage yes but i only gained four points by having it dropped Well you gained four which means you would have been 14-ish to the next instead of 18-ish yeah it was a good it was a good weekend we're not gonna we're not gonna dwell on that no we're not i'm just gonna repeat it we're yeah i'm gonna repeat it sorry you're going to have to have fun looking at, like, me going. the let's same thing I felt. Let's, let's just do, do this. Let's, let's do it. Let's just Reckling make everyone it. else feel that way on a match. Just Oh, there's two guys 18 points ahead? So, it's so sad. we got to have stretch goals, right? we got to push them forward. So we're going to go, let's go 20 and 21. Yeah.
1: Th- remember that you Michigan? Go 20.
0: <laughs> remember the Michigan
1: match last year? We did the yeah, same thing. That like, was it was like that, yeah. I think the next place after you was 20 points back or something. It wasn't 20, but it was a lot. Like it 10 was or a 12. lot. It was a lot. hmm Okay, so, so that's back a, on top. Yeah, exactly. Always the measure thing. the mover. Always measure the mover, and it's very, very simple. I don't have a Kestrel in front of me, so you can just cut me off if I'm, I'm going down the wrong track. So you're going to want to use... I don't remember
0: this perfectly either, so... I'm pretty
1: good um, with remembering. So uh, you're going to want an AB Kestrel. Yes, that's true. 5700 Elite. And then also you're going to click into the target card, and well,
0: then you're going to go down... before and, that, okay. there's... You mean single target. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can go into just the very first. I didn't mean target. target card. I'm you sorry. Target. The target. does target menu. Correct. Target menu. When you click in the target menu, you're going to go to TS, which it's, is target speed. Yes. It's the very first thing when you go into ballistics mode. It's the very first thing you highlight when you're just in ballistics mode is the target. Target menu. It, yep. It has yardage. It'll show yardage on the far right side. Yep. So you click
1: in there, you'll scroll down to TS, which is target speed. Correct. It'll have a target speed in there. And if you've shot most movers, they're right around 3, so usually that's still left in there from the last match. You'll click click into that TS with the center button, and then it'll say um, estimate. And then yes. you you toggle down, you hit estimate. And then in the estimation menu, you have to tell the Kestrel how far the target is away. So you have to tell them two things. How far is the target? And then how wide in mils are you going to measure that target moving through? Um, you can use mils. You can use MOA. But either way you do it, you could also use what? No, then there's a third input, which you have to physically do. Oh, okay. yeah, Which... So point. say the mover's at 500 yards, you'd put it at 500 yards, and then I usually pick 10 mils across my scope because I can go five left and five mm-hmm. right. Um, and then you'll lay down behind your scope, or if you have somebody that has a spotter, um, I usually try to measure as much as I comfortably can without making the target image super small. And you'll go, you'll toggle into that menu, and there's a little timer that will count when you start and count when you st- and stop when you press it again. So as the As the target approaches, and you make sure your rifle isn't moving and your spotter scope isn't moving, but as it approaches the left bounds where you're going to start measuring, you'll hit that center button, and it basically just starts the timer. And it knows, it calculates the angle based on the length that you're measuring it and the time that it takes. And then it tells you what you need to hold in angle Yep. on the actual um, ballistic. You can go in the range card or you can go into the target card,
0: or you can go into, what is the other, ballistic menu, and you can see the speed. Yep. Yep. so there's, I mean, just a reason why this works, right? Just velocity is distance over time, right? Mm -hmm. Well, since we don't know the exact distance, the distance, one, we don't know time at this point. We're trying to find the velocity, but we don't know the time. So velocity is what we're looking for. Distance, we don't know, and I don't mean distance to your target, but we do know the traveled. angular yeah distance traveled, the angular distance that it travels. So by putting in the amount of mills, and by putting in the uh, distance away from the target, Kestrel can then convert your angle into how far something travels per mil or yep. per tenth of mil. And it's up to you now. This is where inputs become really important. The time that you're pressing a the go, the start and stop button to, to calculate the time, essentially a stopwatch put the T in the time part you have to pick the front edge of the target or the back edge must be the same both ways as soon as it hits your first reference mark for say you have 10 mils of motion you're going to use 5 mils left all the way to 5 mils right as your 10 mil span use the front edge and as soon as it touches that front boundary press enter let it go all the way. And as soon as the same front edge hits the 5 right, if it's moving left to right, it hits the 5 mils right. Again, tap it. You have to be as precise as you humanly can. As soon as you press stop, you press back once, and it will say, do you want to accept, do you want to accept this time? And it'll tell you a time. And then it'll just say yes, and then it'll tell you the speed on the back one screen. It'll show you the speed of the mover that it's calculated. You, you want to effectively do that. Write that down or see what it says. Do it again. Then do it again. Then do it again and again. You want to do this five, six, seven times. You should be looking for the average of these because just because they say it's three miles an hour doesn't mean it's exactly three. Um, just because they say it's one doesn't mean it's exactly one. I mean, it, it's just an electrode you, or electron uh, electronic device, uh, rheostat or speed variable speed motor down there. If it's not calibrated perfectly, you don't know what the real speed is. And what you're doing is getting as close as you can to try to get an estimate. Um, Every world, time I've ever measured K&M, it's been 3 or 3.1. Three, yeah, it's it's spot on. And at most places, it's spot on. But again, 3 versus 3.1 versus 3.2 versus 3.3 matters. <coughs> if you're within one-tenth of a mile per hour, you're probably good. But you already don't have a lot of margin of error on most targets. So if you go to 3.2 is what you think it is, but it's really 3, you will be over leading it and being in front of the target more frequently. And then you have to, just because of the, you know, the error, and you have your reaction time. So there's some other things that come into shooting movers that have nothing to do with just the calculations that can make it look like you missed. It'll make it look like your Kestrel is wrong, even though it's not. Uh, it's just math. So How, then- However, there's one thing that you really need to pay attention to when it comes to movers, and that is the tracking left to right in your scope where you are referencing start and stop that is the hardest part to master early on and that goes when you're doing that with your finger um it's actually a really good practice for doing it with your trigger finger as well
1: yeah it all comes (laughs) down to that that eye visual processing in your brain sending the signal to your finger and when that button actually gets actuated and like you said pushing that button on your kestrel is very similar to the the eye to brain to hand timing that you're going to experience when you're pressing the trigger
0: yep only it's obviously you're more mushy with this little button on a kestrel than you are with your trigger yep but uh that said there are some things so now you have a speed you can find it a couple different places like you already said um but you you just because you have a speed and you have the lead there's a couple things to point out one the kestrel does not factor in your wind into a lead that it shows you so when it tells you lead 1.7 to a three mile per hour mover at 300 yards Mm -hmm. uh, that number does not factor in a crosswind it is only the amount of lead needed to hit the accurately or accurately engage the target for its speed not speed plus wind yeah yeah so um I think you are getting at is we both dial the wind yeah i okay. hadn't gotten that but that's where we were going but yeah so what that means on top of dialing wind i'm simply saying you have to factor in your wind call into your mover so there's i wanted to go through this because it can be tricky to think of a mover without dialing your wind so first and foremost it is far easier to dial in what you think the wind is than it is to just simply try to hold in addition to your lead it 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 is very difficult to do if you're newer to this and you don't have access to movers all the time you should figure out what you've been holding at a target and hopefully you had a target around this but if you have another 500 yard target you would shot in the last four or five stages and you feel like the wind is still at some amount half a mil dial in the half mil that you need to have in and just assume that it's not going to change throughout the stage um, as you're learning now it's 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 not that simple unfortunately because wind does change so if it backs off or speeds up your hold actually has to increase or decrease depending on whether the target's traveling into the wind or downwind and that is a really difficult skill to master and keep straight in your head yeah for the most part though i see most
1: most mds the the mover size the width of the target is usually in that 0.8 range plus
0: i mean even in yeah. the AG Cup, it was it was 0.8 to 1. Yep. Yeah, 2 tenths tall and point eight wide. So you had a lot of leeway left and right to absorb wind because it was supposed to be a vertical test and you know making sure you could hold a good water line. Um, I have seen targets that are extremely small for their distance and their speed. And their anecdote as to why you should always be measuring the target with your rifle reticle, confirming that what you were told for speed is right, well, one, it goes to trust, but verify. We say that all the time. Ronald Reagan's always right. Go, um, good on him. The target speed at a match we shot, I shot earlier this summer, was designated and said to be three miles per hour. I measured it. And I'm like, there's no way that's three miles per hour. Just looking at the target, measured it, and it was 1.6. 1.5, 1.6. Wow i have like, never seen this that is before. wrong. Like, I must not have been at that match. You were not. Okay. Um, and it was 1.5, 1.6. This is right as it gets going in the morning, and I'm one or two stages away from it. Measured it. I think it was the second stage I was supposed to shoot. I get done shooting the first stage. I'm prepping for this mover stage, and a few shooters from the previous, the last the squad in front of us getting done, and all of a sudden, I hear somebody walks over, hey, me measure that mover again. I measure it, and it now it's at 3.4, 3.2 to 3.4. Holy cow. And I'm like, whoa, what just happened? And come to find out, the mover had literally doubled in speed, and it happened mid-shooter, and it caused issues with that shooter. He hit it, and it was like, boom, mm, and it lurched forward. Then he hit it again, boom, lurched forward and stayed that speed the whole time. Uh, my guess is one of the mo- motors... If it was two motors, one of the motors was slipping or it was binding somewhere or who knows, whatever would cause a, you know the mover to go half speed, it was going half speed and then suddenly it was going double speed. Maybe there was a loose leg on a motor and it was only getting half the power. Um, I don't know. But the point being, you can't verify, you can't trust that whatever is told is right. Because if you do and you make that assumption and you have the ability to measure it, you might think movers are the toughest things in the world and you're missing all over or that oh, I don't need this Kestrel is wrong. It said 1.7. I only needed 0.8. What is going on? And realistically it's that the speed was wrong. Mm-hmm. Same thing as you know, range uncertainty. We talk about all the time as a reason for having bad dope, bad data. I mean, you're truing. This is the same thing with movers. Speed uncertainty is the most common along with some other things, but speed uncertainty is a number one factor. You need to verify to make sure you're getting good holds and good leads so that you can engage the target and know what else could be possibly looked at to improve your well, over peop- rate.
1: People always ask me too like is is that is that to the edge or to, is that to center? Well, always to center. It always gives you the information to center in your kestrel. Choose to do what you want with that information. Sometimes I find it kind of hard to get an exact measurement of the target yeah. since it's moving, so I just hold center. 1.7 to center. <coughs> I got a 1.75 mark. On the Mark V PR2 Radical, so I'm going to hold 1.75 to center. Um, there's two ways you can miss because that math is correct. Um, the Kestrel doesn't doesn't lie on that. There's two ways from there that, that you could be off, and and the biggest, well, they're both about the same. They're both about the same likelihood. Number one, you don't have the correct wind dialed into your scope, and then number two, your timing from when you think you should be pressing the trigger. To when your triggers actually break, uh, when your trigger breaks, could be different. And everybody has a, a different brain to trigger timing, right? Yes. So people are like, oh, I only needed 1.2, and somebody's like, I needed 2.2. Well, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about any of that because the math is, says 1.7. And I know that if I break that shot at 1.7, as long as the, I have the right wind
0: dial in there, it's going to hit the exact center of that target. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a really simple concept when you think about a mover. You press the bang switch, the bullet starts out. Think of it like a slow-moving, like a slow it way down, a softball arc. The the runner, bang, and a left fielder starts running towards it. It's going to land where it's going to land no matter what. The left fielder or right fielder just run into the ball and happen to catch it. That's all that's happening when you're sending a mover. And when you think of it that way, it really becomes a pretty simple concept. So long as you have a decent centering of your reticle, um, where you need to hold, where you use your, your leads, or you're using a front-edge, back-edge approach that is very consistent. I generally don't pref- I don't like the front-edge, back-edge method as much anymore. Um, I know, I think, Chad, you still use the back-edge trailing edge, right? You take a hold if you can, and you get a good measurement on the width of the target. You use rear edge as a reference.
1: Yeah, if I can use, if I know the width of the target for a fact, yes, whether I can either measure it or I trust the matchbook, then I do like the back edge over the front edge because I get to see the edge pass the the hold point twice. Mm-hmm. I get to see the front edge pass it and my anxiety level is reduced and then I break on the back. So if you're holding on or if you're gonna break on the back edge then you need to add half the width of the target to whatever the kestrel says. So if it's a six tenths wide target and it tells you a 1.7 hold, then you're gonna break at two mil on the back edge. So you'll just watch that front edge of the target go by the two line and on the back edge of the target you'll press it and i do feel like holding the front or the back edge gives you a much more finite timeline for you to break the shot but most of the time these targets are big enough to to hit it as long as you make a decent press and you're
0: not freaking out so yeah
1: yeah i just I, tell people like the kestrel gives you the center hold do what you want with that information
0: yeah i i definitely don't like the idea of measuring a moving target as well it's very hard to be precise on a moving target um, in terms of left to rights, just measuring the width of the target. So like you said, use that at your own peril. I, I want to keep it, movers are already inherently about your ability to break a shot at an exact point in your reticle. More That's about it. So if you take, if you know nothing about it and you simply break perfect shots, there's a very good chance you're going to hit it. If you're breaking it exactly centered on 1.7 mils or 1.5, whatever your number happens to be, very good very, very high probability you'll hit the target for a, for a average size target. Mm-hmm. By adding complexity, going to the front, going to the rear, and this is just a warning, if you go to the rear, you go to the front, or you start using, you know, whole number, like I've heard some people say, as soon as the target is centered on two mils, or between one and a half and two mils, as soon as it's between there, send it. I'm like, well, that only works if you know that the target accommodates that, and it's not a precise system, and again if you have anything where you have to do math subtractive or additive or other it's all predicated on you doing the right math so just word of caution if you have to the more math you have to do the more chances your decimals or your negative positive signs are in the wrong places just do it again (laughs) so yep
1: that's that Um, so I guess we've I feel like we've talked about movers in in a small portion of one of the podcasts but um so, is it you use ambush to use track or track bush? What do you prefer? Uh, generally
0: speaking, ambush. Just sit there and wait. However, I have used both a trap and a track, uh, and I've used a hybrid between the two uh, tracking the target versus trapping the target, AKA the ambush. Um, a hybrid is where you'll get way out in front. So, let's talk about trap first. The trapping method is simply you put the reticle far enough in advance of your target that you watch it coming in from say 10 mils all the way on the left and you just get to level it get it square to the middle and just let it come in come in come in as soon as it hits the number you're supposed to hold on center as soon as that touches you touch off the trigger bang Mm -hmm. the bullet comes it's a trap Um, a track means you are literally tracking your hold to the center of the target so 1.7 you'll keep that moving with the target on center as the target is rolling across your view I prefer trap however I, I also have tried tracking and I did find that that's really difficult however I found there's a hybrid that kind of works in your favor I have a hard time of just sending an exact number personally my trigger my brain finger trigger brain finger trigger geez brain trigger finger connection tends to be a little fast I inadvertently send it early. Well, uh, I will get out in front of it. I'll wait for it get to, to get really close to my hold and then I'll start rolling the stock or specifically the rear bag ever so slightly with the target and it slows down the relative speed of the target to my reticle and it gives me a split second to watch it and it also helps my brain start tracking a moving target. I noticed I was watching a lot more impacts on target doing that method. And it was very consistent. It also helped me to learn how to trap more accurately. So I needed to do that in order to become a better trapper. I had to start with sort of a hybrid so that I could do it well. And then I just fully trap the target. So to answer that question.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely trap. I've never tried to track, but I might try this weekend. We're heading to k I might think about just, just giving that a try. Um, I'm usually, I usually consider movers give me points because, the target's bigger, and the, and the science is there, um, but at the, same, at the same token, and we've talked about some matches where the scores are really high and people don't drop a lot of shots, even when shots are gimmies, quote-unquote, like, relatively easy shots, those become even more stressful, and I think there's a lot of stigma and stress built around movers, because most people don't get a chance to practice them, and the points, when people know how to do them, they just start stacking them. So I think it's... It's definitely stress that is justified, if that makes sense, because yeah. I know you you used to struggle with movers quite a bit and went oh, down to K and M for a whole day one day and did it. I think I
0: lost I lost top fives or outright lost five matches in yeah. three or four or five match. I don't remember. It was a lot. Um, in so my first two years. As super, a Super super critical
1: skill to learn and know. Um, so from my perspective I I trap and I think it's considered a track, a trap bush, whatever. Track bush, ambush by tracking a little track bit. Track bush? Yeah. So so my, my process is I locate the, the target, I go about six to eight mils in front of the target and lock my vertical my vertical reference which would be the horizontal line and make sure that that is bisecting the target vertically for multiple mills before I even need to think about pressing the trigger and that way I know that I don't have to worry about elevation I just have to worry about watching that target run right down the center of my uh, vertical axis and then I press the trigger on the center and you know whether you're doing front edge center or leading or trailing edge um, you can't squeeze the trigger anymore. You almost have to just get after it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, give
0: or hell. <laughs> there is no such thing as a slow roll when you're tracking. No, the mover. people
1: say like slap the trigger, but I have a really hard time doing that. I get my finger on the trigger, just preload it, and then I just pull it. Push through. Push instead through, of, the of pressing, there yep. 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 Instead of pressing the trigger, I consider that a pulling the trigger. Yep. So like that's sneak. just something. That's just something to think about. Like you can't like slowly creep up on it and have it go off. You have to has to be more binary than that because. Once you figure out your timing, um, that that just means you just have to do that that same cadence over and over again. So, I'll I'll speed up and get eight eight mils in front of it or so, lock the vertical um, axis, and then break that trigger when it gets to the point that I intend on having that happen. Yep. So
0: that's movers. Um, things that affect movers, though, we have shot them not prone frequently, yeah. and. Uh, assuming you have just the pure science of how to shoot a mover under the most stable condition possible the rest of it becomes diagnosis because at this point you have to make sure you know how to shoot a mover perfectly stable before you can shoot a mover off of a wobbly position it's the same principle except you have two things fighting now, actually three if you include wind, but you have both your timing of the reticle in its left and right, but you also have the added wobble of the position or prop that you're shooting off of that can be a challenge generally when you have that it's also a bigger target even larger than say a prone mover but it's something to consider if you find yourself moving you can't again don't assume your mover hold is wrong unless you feel like you're breaking the breaking and following through perfect shots from any given position then you can start to assess whether the mover itself and your timing is potentially off but you have to be honest that you're breaking perfect shots when and where you think you're breaking them that is a really hard skill. Unfortunately, that takes a lot of rounds to figure out. Or just really lucky on your brain, hand, eye connection. Um, another one is wind. Once you factor in your wind and you have a right to left, even though you've dialed it, if it picks up and it adds three tenths at some distance, so you dial in some number and it changes two to three tenths, for most of the targets, that's enough to put you on the back edge or off the back edge for some of the targets that we shoot, For even for movers. In that case you know if they're coming into the wind so if the mover is traveling into the wind you need to add your wind hold in addition to that mover's hold so if it was three tenths, you need to hold two miles per hour or two mils when the mover is going into the wind you need to hold uh one sorry semi deciding to get a little close I'll just reach up one and dial 4. a couple
1: more tents on there and then just do your same hold
0: yeah one point but if it's again if it's off i don't want to reach up and have the condition die that fast if it's off three mils again using the halves of targets um in this case i would say you're you're generally going to miss to the half of a target right you're already centered up you're missing half a target left add a full half target back into the wind hole to get you back on centerish um downwind you do the opposite you subtract the wind so you'd be at 1.4 so if it was a really gusty day and i'm on and off i might have to go two mils into the wind and 1.4 into the for downwind shots or you just dial it on
1: yeah but, add a tenth or add add two tenths on if you feel like you slipped it off the back or the front and and you know it was a good press which, that, That's that's cool. that's what got me at K, K, uh, mkm um mm-hmm. i was definitely on both sides of the target and i should have known hey that's uh because i had the wrong wind dialed in yeah because i'm usually pretty solid at mover so um, yeah that's pretty much all I can think of as far as movers go to be quite honest <laughs> yeah me too but that same person had some other questions too don't they I mean it was it was related to building positions yeah so I think NPAs is critical off of props when you're shooting movers it's more critical because you get less time to settle it into your bag so on those I will I will dial the magnification back even a little bit more so that I can start the I can start the target on the far edge of the scope and give myself more time to settle it in and check the npa what magnification do you normally run on movers
0: uh this is a tricky one normally around 17 um, but the closer the mover the less i use so Mm -hmm. 17 to 20 is pretty normal i found when i was practicing i got really really good at 20 to 25 power in fact i could watch impacts so easily but you had to do that sort of hybrid track track I went down to the seventeen twenty power and found it a good mix of both. At a 300-yard or even a 100-yard mover, though, you cannot do that. You must use more like 10, 12, 14 power because the target will move so angularly. Still moving 50 yards left to right. Well, at 100 yards, that's for huge pan. That's like yeah. 45 degrees or 40 degrees. Um, whereas at a two, 300 yards, it's it's a lot less. Um, 500 even less. So. It's much more difficult, and the target appears to be moving way quicker at, say, 100 yards versus 300, and then same thing, 300 to 500. So you have to have a lower magnification in order to just to acquire the target and get enough time to prep to be ready to break a shot requires far more lead in your scope or just anticipation time, i.e., like 12, 10, 12 power. Yeah, my problem is
1: when it's that low, I can't read the radical. I'm just kind of making assumptions. So my go-to is 17. I think anything higher for me personally um, gives me some anxiety because it moves through the scope quicker than I would like it, even at 300 yards, uh, let alone uh, 100 yards. But anything lower than 17, I can probably go down at 15, but anything lower than that, um, I can't really pick out the subtensions real well. It just starts getting real fine. So I usually start at 17 unless I'm on scope, and it just feels weird. Yeah, um, but usually I can grind through it anywhere yeah. in that zone.
0: Technically, it doesn't move, for a given distance, it doesn't move through the scope any quicker, but it moves through the portion of the scope relatively much quicker, meaning it's not in your field of view as long. It's passing the same number of mills each time. It's just, yeah. you don't see as many mills, so you get, there it is, there, oh, there it goes. There it is, there it goes, whereas when you were at, like, one power, there it is. Wait, 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 okay. Like, that's the window that you're increasing by decreasing magnification while you're at a given distance. When you're at short range, like t- decreasing ranges, that is not no longer the case. You are physically covering more mils per second, like an angle. You're covering mm-hmm. more degrees per second, so it's and it's much closer, so it does actually come through your scope much faster. Right. So, um, yeah, the easy way to think of that one would be imagine... Well, goes. Cool. So you guys got it. Yep, I think so.
1: We've beat the dead horse. Uh-huh. I have more on movers than I ever thought no, we were going to talk there's about. There's no substitution, really, for, for getting after it and getting some exposure to movers, other than that little spreadsheet you made. I
0: don't know if, yeah. if you want to talk about that. Yeah, early on when I really wanted to figure this out, I needed to build a better brain-eye-hand connection, and I built a PowerPoint presentation that just had a small square block, the smallest dot I could, it wasn't scaled to anything really. I just set the motion so that it would cover X number of pixels as fast as I could make it. Um, and it would, you set the animate mode, so it would take this little square block and make it go left to right across the screen, stop, left to right across the screen, stop, and then repeat. And I could just set up on a dry fire, look at my computer screen, wait for it to come in, bang, wait for it to come in, bang, and then it would hit the end and I would reverse it and you'd go. I just kept doing that just so I could get used to breaking a shot at a given position on my reticle. Um, it, it's not perfect. it's not. It wasn't scaled to anything. I did my best to do it that way, but that really doesn't work. It's really hard to do. Um, best
1: way is to make your way down K&M on one of the yeah. matches and, and training day on Friday, and you can drive far the hell out of that thing and then send one live round every 20 or 30 presses. Just figure out what your brain to trigger finger timing is, and make sure that it's it's good to go. Usually, there's a pretty low wind scenario there, so you don't have to deal with wind much. And a lot of times, when I'm there, if I want to segregate wind from the target, there's 500 yard targets down there, downrange, static targets, and I'll I'll make my wind call, I'll dial my wind call, and I'll press the trigger and shoot at that target, that smallest target on that plate rack on the far left. And then I've confirmed that the wind call is good and I can practice with my trigger timing and see where I'm hitting on the plates. Then you know for sure that it's not wind. You know that your timing is is the problem. And like I said, the Kestrel, um, as long as you put in the right yardage distance to target and you've measured it with the actual, um, the estimate feature, there could be nothing else wrong with the actual math for your bullet. It's all based on time of flight. So the only answer could be your brain to trigger finger timing or the wind and if you can eliminate the wind then you can work on that trigger timing so it's pretty valuable like i said I, i've laid there for an hour just shooting at that thing one round every 20 30 presses just to kind of get used to it and you can trust the movers there they've even added another mover which is cool yep
0: yeah i think i cleaned all the movers last year good job or wait, this, year. this year this year yeah yep. <laughs> it feels like it's been that long since i been here it feels like a year ago yeah um, there was 23 shots at the
1: ag cup too i think one stage was 11 one stage is 12 or 10 either way there was the, over 20 the there yep dropped one there and like i said they, they're pretty they're not i don't want to call them easy points but they're points that you should grab like movers you should not be dropping any points on movers if you want to win the match
0: yeah i'm gonna go ahead and put an asterisk next to that normal movers 3.3 yeah. mile per hour one and a half moa targets at 600 yards you can 552 yards you can drop those for sure
1: yeah anytime your mover eight inch target at
0: 550
1: 3.3 miles per hour anytime your mover gets (laughs) uh you know five tenths wide and and less that's a small mover five tenths is a small mover
0: yeah this was tiny (laughs) this was really tiny i yeah and it was skylined into dirt or into brush the only place you could actually see it is if at the middle there was one little berm in the middle, like, there was about a seven to eight foot area where you could send around and it would hit that berm so you could tell. Other than that. This was the mover that was also speeding up and slowing down? Yes, it was. So it was speeding <laughs> up and slowing down and have nothing to distract. It was a hard mover. Sweet. I like the sound of that. I yeah. wish I was there. I wish I could have reshot it because, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. That was one of them. Oh. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that covers the movers, man. Yeah, me too. All Anything right. else you want
1: to chat about? Yeah, maybe we'll just start another episode.
0: Ooh, I like this idea. <laughs>
1: all right, We see should ya. see
0: if we can grab some of this sweet corn that's all brown. No, that's not sweet corn. That's field corn. Well, I, it was green at one point. It might be sweet now. No, it's not
1: sweet. <gasps> a lot of starch. And it'll break a tooth. Okay. <laughs> see ya. See ya, dude. Bye.